green light is on. Oh, I think I hear it. Okay, we're good. Thank you for reading the passage and the introduction. Um, I have a question for you. Has anyone out there ever found that it's easier to start a project than to finish it? Is that your experience? Yeah, yeah it's easy to get going. Okay, I want you to think about some specific examples. Just turn to a person or two next to you and just say, what, what was that project that was hard to finish? And maybe you didn't finish. Maybe it's waiting for you when you get home today. But just go ahead and exchange. Okay, all right. Hopefully, hopefully you're entertained by someone else's uh, unfinished project uh, nearby. <laughs> I know mine can really get me down. I'm re I, I tend to be better at starting than finishing, and you know something will be out forever, and once in a while you get a reminder from the wife <laughs> that it's not done yet. <laughs> we we uh, hired a guy to change our uh, fans recently, and he he. he He's actually really handy, so his t-shirt is really, I, I wanted to change t-shirts with him, but he says, you know, if a man says he'll do something, he will. He, he doesn't need you to remind him every six months. <laughs> I thought, that's, that's the t-shirt I need. Yeah, so we, we have a project going on in our house. Uh, you know, we're repainting the kitchen cabinets, and part of that's because another project's coming. It's on a deadline, and we need to do this before that can happen. And, it's, it's a mess. It's not finished now, but it's not stalled either. Well, oh, it is stalled. The paint hasn't arrived. We're waiting for, we ran out of paint, and it's, it's supposed to be here, and it's not. So it's frustrating. It can be a, a challenge to us when we, we see that we started something that was very promising, and it just doesn't go anywhere. So let, let's just open in prayer, and then we'll uh, look at our passage. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a good, good Father, and that you uh, are serious about the projects that you start uh, that you are, have made all of us new creations, and, uh, and yet we are in process, and there's a, a wonderful and glorious goal that you have in mind, and your purpose and your goal will not be thwarted, and we thank you for that. Uh, pray you bless us as we look in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, a little historical background, our letters to the church at Philippi, uh, it's a, a, a city in Greece, actually in Macedonia, uh, but all of uh, the background for how this church was founded is in Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty amazing story. Uh, you don't need to look there, but if you want to look at it and just kind of skim over it, it was a fascinating experience when Paul, uh, Timothy, and Silas were on the second missionary journey. They're in Asia Minor, and they're trying to go all of these places, and it, the doors weren't opening. Like, it literally said the Spirit of Jesus was preventing them from going into certain places. And then as they prayed, you know, that, that night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And, you know, often uh, missiologists will, or church historians will look at that and say, oh, this is the beginning of the church in Europe. This is uh, the first church, the first converts. Uh, Lydia was the first convert. You know, they, they didn't even have a synagogue there. So Paul really had to change his routine because he would tend to go to uh, the, the Jewish people and, and present Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, they didn't even have a synagogue, which means there were 
lacking the 10 adult male Jews to have a synagogue. So they go to the, uh, he, he decided to go to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. And he found women working there. And who is the first convert? Do you remember? The first convert in Europe, at least by Paul, yeah, is Lydia. But what's funny, and I only share this because I work with international students, <laughs> she's, she's not European. She's, she says she was a, a, a maker of purple, uh, purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, which was back in Asia Minor where they just came from. So she was someone out of her, out of her uh, element in that city. Uh, and we find that, just like with international students, when we're out of our element, when we move to a new place, when we're in a foreign country, it's, it's a time of openness because we have to learn a new way uh, to, to do things, right? So I thought that was an interesting connection. So Acts 16, uh, anyway, there's a lot of interesting things about it. Uh, they get thrown in prison for uh, healing a demon-possessed girl, uh, and they're beaten without a trial. But, you know, these guys are, you know, amazing Christians. They're singing praises to God in the middle of the night after being severely beaten, and they're locked in the stocks. And then God sent the earthquake, and it opened all their chains, but they didn't run off. Uh, they, they led the jailer to Christ, and his, he took them home. He washed their wounds, and his whole family was baptized you know, that night. Uh, and they had to leave soon after that, leave the city and keep moving to other cities. But that was the founding, the really amazing founding of the church at Philippi. Uh, and Paul, that was about the year about 50 AD. So uh, where are we now? Uh, yeah, at the end of a the book of Acts, uh, we see that Paul, uh, he's at, in Rome. He's in house arrest. He has a, a certain degree of freedom to see his friends and to preach the gospel, but he's just chained to a centurion for two years. At least at, by the end of Acts, he's still there after two years. So now we come to, uh, let's see, the, the place of writing for uh, Philippians. Uh, this is often referred to as one of the four prison letters of Paul. Uh, along with Ephesians, which was probably first, Colossians, and uh, Philemon, which uh, were pretty close to Ephesians in content and time. Uh, and uh, Philemon was one written to an individual, not a whole church. And then uh, Philippians is, is considered the one written last, very likely in the spring of 62, so at the very end of this two-year period of uh, house arrest in Rome. So he's, he expects to be released. Uh, he probably was released very soon after, uh, and there's, there's a lot of optimism in his letter. It's very different from the letter of uh, 2 Timothy, where you know, he says, I've finished the race, I've, I've, you know, I've fought the fight, you know, and I know the end is coming really soon. That was the second imprisonment about five or six years later. Okay, so culturally, what, what do we know about Philippians? Uh, actually, Philippians was an extremely, extremely status-conscious uh, society. It wasn't a very big city, uh, it, it was founded after uh, the, the, the Romans came, well, it was founded in the Greek times, but uh, it was built up in the Roman times after a big battle, and the, 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 victor, the general of the battle uh, gave, gave the colony uh, a Roman status. So that even though it's in Greece, uh, it has the status and the privileges of all of uh, the Roman cities uh, for taxes and all kinds of things, and it was populated with a lot of veterans from the Roman wars. So there are a lot of Romans. Uh, they all, everyone pretty much has Roman rights, uh, and they're very proud of it. Um, but individually, they're very conscious status, uh, stat very conscious of their status and their position in society, and uh, taking kind of all the adornments and entitlements of their positions and kind of flaunting it. Uh, archaeologists have found in the city of Philippi uh, more inscriptions than pretty much any other city in the Mediterranean. 
The inscriptions are all basically boasting. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, this one says, oh, so-and-so spent, you know, 15,000 of the currency to, to build this public fountain for the public to enjoy. Uh, and, you know, there's another one over here that says, this guy built the, the theater, you know. And so, of course, they also had to pay for the inscriptions. But they were really big at blowing their own horn and saying, look at me, check me out, uh, and trying to one-up one each other. So that, that was kind of the cultural setting of, of Philippi. Uh, some some uh, scholars have said Philippi was probably more status conscious than any other city in the whole empire. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, just kind of off the chart. Uh, so that's, that's something we can see that he addresses through this letter. What is the purpose of Philippi? Uh, if you look at the whole thing, uh, it, it really appears to be uh, a very heartfelt thank you letter uh, for the financial support that the Philippians had contributed to Paul's ministry uh, and all of their encouragement and partnership, along with a ministry update. It's basically a, a prayer letter. Uh, and and that's, yeah, it, fits, it fits that very well. He has some specific things to say in there, but different than most of his letters, there's no major theological controversy. There's no major moral uh, dilemma or conflicts that he has to address. Uh, he, he's, he's just celebrating uh, what God is doing in the lives of this church, and he's so thankful for them. And that's where a lot of the joy language comes from. Uh, so he, uh, but what he does want to encourage them uh, is to uh, call them to follow examples, primarily of Jesus, but also of Paul, of Timothy, Epaphroditus, these other good examples, uh, to go, to go countercultural by laying aside their privileges, laying aside whatever honors or rights that they feel they're entitled to because of their status in the world, and to do that for the benefit of others, to serve others, and for the glory of God. Okay, so that's enough background. Uh, just zoomed right through that. Uh, verses 1 and 2, this is a very typical intro uh, for the most part. If you look at all of Paul's letters, you can flip around to other books nearby, and uh, they'll start Paul... And Timothy, if he happens to be with Timothy this time, uh, servants of Christ, uh, and who is it to? It's to the God's holy people, or saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. This is a standard way to write letters in the Greek times and Roman times. Who is writing it, and who is it to? And maybe a little hint of purpose. Uh, and then uh, a blessing. Uh, grace and peace to you from God, uh, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is uniquely Paul's uh, signature. Every, pretty much every letter is that, grace and peace, grace and peace. It, it's very uh, important theologically, and it's a note he sounds through the whole letter. So that's, that's the introduction and greeting. Uh, Paul's letters, oh, there, okay, there's one, there's one thing that's different, and it relates to what I said about this city. Uh, he addresses God's holy people, but he also says, together with the overseers and deacons. That's completely unique. He doesn't do that in any other letter, say, oh, and to the leaders of the church. Uh, and he gives two specific names. It's interesting. Uh, we don't know exactly why he did that, except through the rest of the letter, he's calling them to put aside their titles. So it's funny he kind of calls out the leaders. <laughs> you know, maybe he's calling them to lead by example and set aside their those titles. You know, don't use those titles to lord it over the church, but to lay it aside like Jesus did and take on the form of a servant and put others first for the glory of God. So that's something very unique in his greeting. Um, Paul's letters have a pretty typical four-part uh, pattern. There's a greeting that we saw, and then there's a thanksgiving and or prayer for the believers. Uh, and then we have the body, which is where all the, all the creative elements come in based on what's, what the church is dealing with. 
Uh, num- and then lastly, a conclusion, like final greetings and a final blessing kind of thing. So I'll bring it back to you. Uh, of the four things, greeting, thanksgiving, uh, body, or conclusion, which part of the letter are we in, in verses 3 through 11? Louder, that was right. Okay, yeah, the youth, go youth. Five points for the youth. <laughs> okay, that's the, that was an easier question. I'm going to give you a harder question next. Okay, so look, look over the passage, just hold it in front of you. Scan over verses 3 through 11, because that's what we're focusing on. Uh, you, you don't have any way of knowing this, but I'll, I'll just tell you there are only two sentences in the original language in all of that, verses 3 through 11. Just two. <laughs> I've got Solomon's attention. Okay, where would you suppose that one sentence break comes in this whole passage, 3 through 11, in this Thanksgiving section? It's okay to be wrong, because it's really not very obvious. <laughs> Where, is the, in, where would you suppose the, the break in thought is in this, uh, this section? There's, there's only two sentences in, in Greek. After verse 8. After verse 8. Yep. It says, verse 8 says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then it goes, but, chap, but verse 9 starts with an and. That's not a proper way to start a new thought, is it? Uh, in Greek it is, actually. <laughs> Almost every sentence in the Greek New Testament starts with and for some reason. It's, just, it's kind of how, how it works. But uh, that's actually correct. Pat is right. And I thought the and would throw you guys off. Like, how could that be the end of a sentence? But it is. I, I, I want to have rewards for you guys, but I decided that participation is its own reward because Paul is celebrating the participation of the Philippians here, right? Good, yeah, so... We're looking at a very familiar verse. Actually, the verse that uh, was in the, the uh, leadership's notes to focus on was uh, verse 6. Uh, a very, very familiar passage. But look how it starts in, in our NIV. What's the first word in verse 6? Being. And is it a capital B even? No. <laughs> There's a comma in front of it that says, being confident of this. It's like, okay. We can't do much with half, half of a sentence, and as you just found out, it's really like an, you know, an eighth of a sentence. Uh, we, need to, we need to know and see the whole idea to really have a better understanding. Now, this is a familiar verse, right? You guys are, probably memorized it at some point, most of you. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Uh, but to really understand and appreciate the verse, we need to... We need to have the whole context. And so it helps us to know that the verse starts with, I thank my God every time I remember you. And it ends with, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Yes, Paul really packs stuff in. Like we love, in seminary students love to diagram in sentences because they just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they're usually in the Thanksgiving section. This isn't the longest one. The longest one is like 130 Greek words. But, but this is, in English, we break it down into like five or six sentences, right? Okay, so now we see the sentence, and now we see our focus verse, being confident of this. Uh, but all of this is just one idea, so we need to set verse 6 in the, the big idea. So, let's start by looking at verses f- uh, 3 through 5. Uh, for what is Paul thankful? What is he thankful for? He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers... Uh, for all of you, 
I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, so what is he thankful for? They're stuck with him? They're stuck with him. They're stuck with him. They did stick with him. Oh, they, they did. They did stick with him. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And especially, they stuck with him in partnership. In partnership. Uh, what kind of partnership do the Philippians have with Paul? That's, a, that's an important thing to think about. Uh, well, yeah? Yes, financial backers. And this, he has a really long Thanksgiving section. Like, here he's thanking God for them. In the back of the letter, he's thanking them for specifically the gift that they sent uh, through Epaphroditus. Uh, and that's, that comes out in chapter 4, verse 10. He rejoices greatly in the Lord uh, that they showed their concern for him. Uh, right, so he, he talks about receiving amply. You know, he has more than he needs. Uh, but he's so overjoyed because they were so thoughtful. Uh, even without any solicitation, they sent this, this gift and a person to, to really help. So first, uh, yeah, the letter is saying thanks for a financial gift. But there's, a, there's something that factors big in all of Paul's letters, and in our section we see it two or three times. It's the word gospel. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. Right, and financial is a way to partner in the gospel. But the gospel is that work, that good news uh, of proclaiming Christ and seeing people come to faith in Christ and, and becoming a new creation. So it happened, he brought that gospel to them, and they enjoyed the new creation. But they're so moved and they're so uh, overwhelmed by the, the joy and the freedom and the new life that God gives uh, and their love for Paul that they want to do whatever they can to make that gospel advance more forcefully and more fully throughout the empire. So they, they partner with Paul. They partner with him uh, through their finances, they partnered with him through their prayers, uh, and they partnered with him through sending people to him uh, when he's in prison or when he's working in different cities to comfort him, to help him, and encourage him. And Epaphroditus is an example that comes out uh, later in the, in, the, in the letter, and he's, he's most likely the one who's taking the letter back to Philippi because he says he's sending him back now. Uh, so so it's a, it's a many-faceted, uh, it's a multi uh, it's, it's, there's many aspects to the partnership uh, that he's, he's thankful to God for, and he's rejoicing over them. Right. So, uh, so that helps us because uh, when he says, being confident of this, yeah, and they, right, they stick with him even when he's in prison. Uh, when he says, being confident of this, we need to see, know that he's, he's thanking God for their partnership in the gospel and that they stuck with him. Uh, so, he, what is he confident of? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's a long sentence, and it's familiar, and if you've memorized it, it's super familiar, and so you probably haven't really thought about the elements of that. That's why I have kind of some busy things happening on your notes down there. Uh, but what is, he what is he confident of? Yeah, he's confident that God is at work. Okay, and, and he's at work doing a good work. Uh, I had a lot of trouble figuring out where in the outline to put the question, what is the good work? <laughs> and at the end, I, I changed it to here. What is the good work? Uh, the good work is that gospel work that we talked about. Uh, the good work yeah, is, is the work of God's spirit uh, in our lives. Uh, but there's, 
you know, as we look at the context of the letter, we see that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of aspects of the good work that he wants to highlight with them. But yeah, in general, we're just talking about the, the progress of, of Christ, of becoming Christ-like, as we're even singing about, you know, take my mind and transform it, you know, take my heart and form it, take my will, conform it to you, right? We're trying to be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, that's, that's the goal, that's the path, that's the Christian life. <clears throat> So, in a general sense, that's, that's a good work. Uh, in some specific ways, and uh, we, we see that our, our idea here in the Thanksgiving section doesn't end at verse 8. He goes on, so we'll just look ahead a little bit at verse 9, uh, where he gets specific. He said, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he hits on some specific things. They're probably specific things related to the situation at Philippi that he wants to highlight right now. Um, that's, that's the forecast. I want to see God doing these things. This is God's purpose in you specifically. As you're becoming Christ-like, these are things that you can be uh, focusing on and praying for and striving for. Uh, for more discernment, you know, abound in love, yes, but with knowledge, not just, you know, you want to focus, focus that love, you want to have more insight, you want to be discerning and making good choices about what is best, because that's always a challenge, but you want to stay pure and blameless, and just to see the fruit of righteousness that God produces through Christ, uh, through Christ in our life. So, those are the things he's talking about in good work, and uh, the, the body of this letter, starting around uh, one... Uh, 127, he talks about putting others first. He says, don't look to your own needs in the beginning of chapter 2 when, he, when he's about to lift up Christ as the ultimate example. He says, don't consider your own needs. Don't, don't have selfish ambition and vain conceit. He says, put others' needs before yourself. Consider others more important than you. And he builds on that and gives multiple, multiple examples of people who have done that and, and what it looks like to inspire and encourage them and to give them a target. <clears throat> Uh, in our church, uh, I, thought, I found some interesting things among our statements of core values and things. Um, I think uh, to talk about what is the good work, if we talk about uh, sanctification or growth in Christ, um, in our core values, there's something called salvation formation, and I really like the description. Uh, that I think it captures it well. It says, we, this is Harvest Church, we believe all people are born sinners, and need the saving forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give by his death on the cross. <clears throat> this salvation is more than, more than a momentary rebirth. It's an ongoing relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we value salvation formation, we desire to see every man, woman, and child have a relationship with God that touches every aspect of their lives, spiritually, physically, socially, emotionally. There it is again. Take my mind, uh, conform it, take my will, tra transform it, all that. I'm mixing them all up, of course, cause <laughs> but every area of our life. And they even break it down and make it uh, simple. Uh, there's, I, I talked with, met with Ben once over this in the last year or two about the park. Uh, so this, you know, youth, here's the youth version. The vision for the park, uh, we envision our youth on a lifelong journey with God. Have you heard that before? Have they shared that lately? If not, I'm sharing it with you now. 
and for the rest of the church. Uh, we envision our youth on a lifelong journey with God that overflows into their relationships with family and friends. Okay, it's very focused, yeah, and, it, and it's focused on the middle part of the good work that we're talking about. And that, that, is, that is our vision for the youth. That is our prayer for the youth. A lifelong journey with God, not just in high school and then you know, something else later. This is a lifelong journey. We've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, right? Okay. So what is the good work? Let's break it down. I think even when we memorize things, we sometimes forget about just breaking it down. There are three distinct parts of the good work that we see uh, revealed here in verse 6. Uh, all right, easy question. What are the three parts? One, verse 6. The good work. It's just like your project. The project has to have a beginning. And uh, the last one, obviously, is the end. <laughs> The middle is the part where things sometimes run amiss, right? It has a beginning. Uh, Paul says, he who began a good work will, two, carry it on. That's the, the long middle section. And three, uh, a completion. And there's even a completion date. You realize that? He gave us a completion date. It's not just some fuzzy time out in the future. There's a specific date. And we're all going to be completed on the same day. That's the amazing thing. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. So what is this graphic? I'm bad at graphics, so I did the best I could with just the, you know, I don't know what you call them when you insert a symbol and they're, they're just like, you know, the font symbols and stuff. That's supposed to be a cross. It's not actually a cross. All right, so Jesus Christ died on the cross in the first century A.D. Uh, he, three days later, he rose from the dead in the resurrection. It's the birth of the church at Pentecost uh, soon after that. Okay, so that's that's history that has an impact on us today. So on the top line, uh, it's, this is kind of what the outline, born. Uh, you were born. On the bottom line, there's a blank. So I don't know when you're born. You know, I, I thought the youth weren't going to be here, so at one point I had you know, 20th century, but you know, 21st century for most of these guys. So it's just a blank. You can write your birthday underneath born on the, on the blank line. Okay, so that, that's, not part, that's not in view in Paul's uh, statement that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Uh, that's before, because you have to be born before you can be born again. And that's, that's where it starts. So uh, it says again, it's shaded underneath it, it's a line. You might have a date. Does anyone have a specific date? You know the day that you were born again? Cecilia, yeah, what date? Which second? May 2nd, wow. Good, good Friday, March 30th, 1972. Wow, good Friday, March 30th, 1972. That's like a month after my sister was born. That's awesome. I was alive. Yeah. My, my younger sister, yeah, she's so young. She's so young. Uh, yeah, some of, us, some of us, it's more of a season. I kind of know it was spring. For me, it was sometime in spring... 1983, around Easter, I think I was baptized soon after that. Um, maybe it's, you know, because even, even the beginning, you know, in heaven there's a date, but for us it may be just such a long process, it's hard to discern uh, or parse out when exactly the actual moment of salvation was. Okay, today, I know today's date, because they said I'm speaking today, so it says 8 17 that's today. And today, I included it with all the forward motion, because 
today is the only time we make decisions, right? You don't make decisions in the future. You can only make them right now. You can't make them in the past. So today and every minute forward, and we don't know how many days is another thing. This might be our only day. We never know that. It's all in God's hands. Uh, but we can't take that for granted. We have to make our choices today, and we need to make them in light of eternity and our eternal direction that God has us on. Uh, so uh, in my... Uh, in seminary, I, my, dis, my, not dissertation, my thesis was on uh, sanctification in the early church, which deals with you know, how we go from being sinners completely cut off from God and having nothing to please him to being children of God, new creations, and growing, and watching how they, that happened in the early church. So uh, that'll become important later. But uh, it was fascinating to me to see that most aspects of what we call redemption, of God redeeming us, uh, they... It, the work begins when we put our faith in Christ. When, we, when someone says yes to Jesus, I know I have sin. I know I am worthy of God's judgment only. I have nothing to, to offer to God except myself uh, to, say, you know, to confess my sin and to ask for the forgiveness and for God to have my life and do what he wants with it. Okay, that's the moment it starts. So we can say we are saved, right? We talk about that saved, uh, sanctified or justified, like uh, Dwayne said. But is it complete? Is it, today is it fully complete? It's not. It's, this is the mystery. This is part of the mystery, right? It's not complete. It's, it's certain, but it's not finished, right? And so I, I like what, uh, and I don't even know where it comes from. It's, somebody said it, so I'll say it again. But, uh, our, you know, our, we're saved from sin, but not every aspect of sin. We're already saved from the moment of faith in Christ. We're saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin and hell and death is taken away. We have eternal life. Praise God. During this middle period, we're being freed from the power of sin. Okay, am I free from the power of sin? Are you free from the power of sin? No. We still experience it in ways, and we struggle with the, the flesh and the world uh, and, and with the devil. We have you know, three enemies working against us. Uh, so Little by little, we're being freed by the, from the, the power of sin. Uh, until one day, and this, in the, when you think about the struggle with sin, this is what's really exciting, is that when we are completed in Christ, we'll finally, ultimately, be saved from the presence of sin. It'll just be taken away. It's removed. It's gone. Uh, and, and that will be such a glorious day. And what is that day? It's the day of Christ. And that's why there's a blank with a question mark. I don't know what to write there. You know, you might know. You probably don't know. I don't think you know. But <laughs> you can put your guess if you want to. But it's in the future, right? And uh, no matter when uh, we die in Christ, uh, the completion doesn't happen until the return of Christ, which is what the day of Christ refers to. Okay. So as we look at this, at this sentence, this promise, this verse that we love to memorize, and I'll it's not even, you know, not a sentence, but a verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, what part of, which of the three phases uh, of salvation is Paul uh, emphasizing? What would you say? Well, yeah, the whole process is sanctification, but is he, foc- is he emphasizing for us the, uh, the beginning, the middle, or the end? I heard man. It was all at the same time. End? Yeah? Would you agree? 
Yeah, day of Christ. All right, so look, just look at the language again. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is, he's thanking God. Uh, he's praising God with joy. And he's confident. Like he, right, his confidence isn't in the beginning. That already happened, right? And he barely really mentions the middle. He's, that's almost not even in view. It's just the word until is all that really carries it here. Uh, but it's the completion that he's excited about. It's the joy and the confidence. Uh, we, we need confidence for the future, right? You know, confidence is important for today, but uh, I can have so much more confidence today if, if I have a little bit of confidence for the future. You know, if I, if I know the end goal, if I know that it's going to happen, uh, as, as uh, we're talking in the intro, you know, it's, it's easy to get discouraged. I mean, is there a more important project in our life than our transformation to Christ, uh, becoming Christ-like? There isn't. It's more important than the kitchen cabinets. It's more important than my rotting deck out back. It's more important than those things. Uh, it, it's, of, it's of great importance. Uh, has anyone ever struggled with uh, discouragement in your walk with God? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever just looked at your life and said, gosh, I don't, I don't feel even as mature now as I was like in the past, at other times. It almost feels like I'm digressing. Right? Those are discouraging times. Those can be uh, heartbreaking times. Just think, oh, God, you know, where, where are you in this? And, you know, what, what happened to me? You know, I used to have, to have fire, and I don't feel the fire right now. I don't feel the, the motivation the way I used to, or maybe I've been distracted uh, with uh, just all the things in my life that are necessary and that are important. And that's where Paul's confidence, uh, and he wants us he wants the Philippians, he wants us to have confidence. God isn't going to quit on you. We might quit on our house projects or our car projects or our academic projects, but God isn't going to quit on us. Okay? Yeah. He's the ultimate builder. You know, he built the whole world in, in, in six days. Yeah, he's not going to quit on us. Right? So we, we don't give up. And we can have confidence that it's going to be completed. And why? Why can we have the confidence? And this is really key. Paul isn't really emphasizing any phases of sanctification so much as he's emphasizing something else. Uh, he's emphasizing who. You know, who is at work in this process? I'm confident of this, that he himself who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion. How can we be confident that he'll complete it? Because he's, it's the same person in charge of the completion that, that was in charge of the starting of it. You know, if it was someone else, we, I don't know if we'd have confidence. You know, if it's up to me to finish it, well, the, you know, all bets are off, right? The confidence is that the same God who started it in us and think about, think back to when you became a Christian. Wasn't it glorious? Wasn't it amazing? Wasn't there new life? Wasn't there new peace? Wasn't there new hope and purpose and reason for living? And we lose track of it sometimes. But he hasn't let go of you. He didn't leave it up to you. The gospel isn't, you're saved by faith in Christ and now good luck, you know, following the Ten Commandments and all the commands in Old and New Testament. It's, that's not it. You know, we're, we're saved. 
for being saved, and we will be ultimately finally saved because God has put his name on it. If you want to be specific, uh, because Christians are Trinitarian uh, monotheists, we believe in one God, but we believe that God exists in three persons. Uh, who is in charge of this uh, process? Is it the Father, Son, or Spirit? Who's in charge of the process? Well, look, just look at our, our very familiar verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Typically, whenever Paul says God, he's referring to the Father unless there's other things that show that it's, it's Christ or the Spirit. But by far the majority, when he says God, he, he means Father. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Yeah, being confident in this, yeah, in the day of Jesus Christ. All right, the Father is in charge of the process, just like the Father was in charge of creation. Father didn't do the creating, that's what the Son and the Spirit did together. You can see that. There are different roles that uh, the members of the Trinity, the persons, play. The Father is in charge of our salvation process and sanctification. Uh, it happens through Jesus, and that's why the day of Jesus is the completion. In this middle period, the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, has the most active part directly with us, because God's presence is with us by his Spirit. Okay, it's his Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit can only indwell us because of what Christ did on the cross and because God has cleansed us and uh, removed sin from us. Okay? So God, is, the Father, is in charge of it. So if we think about the three phases, uh, beginning, the middle, or the carrying it on to completion, and the completion, which one do we usually focus on? There's no right answer to this one, but in, in your own life, what, which part do we usually think about? Do we think about how it started? Do we think about how it's going, or are we thinking about the future? It's easy to get caught up with the here and now, right? I think maybe for most of us, it's in our face, right? So sometimes I'll think back on, you know, things in the past. Uh, but P Paul's focus here is on the future, and it's exciting, and it's glorious, and because of that, we're more empowered to partner with Christ uh, in his gospel work in our life and with the, what the Spirit wants to do there. Okay, so how would it change your understanding of this passage, and especially our verse, uh, when it says, you know, he began a good work in you, to be reminded that because of the deficiency of our English language, or at least modern English language, the yous in this passage are all plural. It's not for you, individual Christian. This isn't an individual letter. It's a letter to a group of Christians. It's very much like us gathered today at Harvest. It's a local church. You. Does that change it at all? He who began a good work in you, among all of you, he's going to carry it out until the day of completion. All of Paul's letters to churches are to groups of people. The yous are almost always plural. Uh, except for the pastorals to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. <clears throat> it's to us. It's a letter to us. It's not a letter to me. It's not a letter to you, right? So we can think again about our church, and that's part of why I got out the, some of the church uh, documents you know, to refer to. It's as a church, God began a good work in this church, right? In harvest. When did he do that? What was the date? If we're going to write the date for harvest... 
when was this church brought to life? 1993, I know that, because you guys sent um, a wonderful wife out to me in uh, southern China. <laughs> and she said, oh, this church has started Some, sometime in 93, right? June. Is it June? Wow, you sent her fast. Like, I met her in August. I met her August 18, 1993. See, I remember that day. That changed my life. God's doing a good thing at Harvest. <laughs> Sending important needs to people in need. <laughs> yeah. Is God done with Harvest? No. Does he have a purpose for Harvest? He does. He does have a purpose for Harvest. And this is a time of transition. It's a time where you might get discouraged because the leadership is in flux. There is some sudden uh, departures. And even though there's uh, joy and there's celebration, at the same time there's question. You know, what's going on, and, and how do we be motivated, and how do, how do we navigate this time, and what do, how do we pray for our leaders at this time, because this is an important time in our church's uh, life. You know, we're going to look back on this time, because this may well be a turning point. Uh, God has a purpose for harvest, uh, at least in a middle phase of uh, development and progress. Uh, the mission statement is to cultivate a community of harvesters, who are maturing in Christ-likeness and making disciples across generations in Orange County and around the world. That was the mission statement that the leadership came up with uh, five or six years ago. And that's been kind of an overarching theme, even if you haven't really heard it up front a whole lot. Um, and this is, this is a time where we can, we can redefine ourselves a little bit. We're going to be about Christ. We're going to be about reaching the lost. The wordings of mission statements might change. Uh, the who's leading up front and preaching might change. But God the Father guarantees the completion of the project, right? Don't lose heart, don't lose hope. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so wrapping it up, here goes my bookmark. So you might be asking, thank you, sir, if the completion of the work whether personally or as a body, is guaranteed by God, if that's God's responsibility to complete it, then what is our role? Right? The, the skeptics or the cynics will say, well, if God's going to do it, I can just cruise. I can take it easy. No, you can't. <laughs> what kind of thinking is that? What kind of Christian life is that? You decided to follow Jesus. You can't just lay it aside and say, ah, he'll finish it. No, you have to keep walking with Jesus, right? And that Paul makes it so clear. We're, we're just looking at the beginning of the letter. In, in chapter 3 that uh, Michael was speaking from last week, there's a straining forward. There's a pressing on. There's a lot of exertion in the Christian life, and we need to do that because we are in partnership with God in our own life and in our church life. We're partnering with God to get the gospel out there and to get the gospel in here, right? Yes. So, uh, I'm, I'm bad at visual aids. You'll have to em envision here. What does a lump of coal, okay, it's black, it's like a rock. What does a lump of coal and an inchworm have in common? What do they have in common? Hmm? Carbon? <laughs> what do they have in common? You can't tell what they might become by looking at them. You can't tell. If, if I could hold up a diamond this big and a lump of coal this big, the chemical composition is identical. Did you know that? It's, I'm not a chemist, but I've, I've read that. <laughs> and an inchworm is genetically identical to what? 
butterfly or a moth or something that flies and it doesn't crawl so around eating stuff. Hmm? What's the word for saying? Inchworm, like a caterpillar. Caterpillar. Thanks, thanks. Caterpillar, yeah. What's, do you guys like worms? Do you guys like worms? Yes. You like worms. Who likes worms? Who, if most people aren't big worm people. You guys are freaking me out. <laughs> How many people like butterflies? They all start as worms. Okay? So we look at ourselves, we work on our image, we work on our status, we look in the mirror. You're just an inchworm, but not just an inchworm. Like all we can see today is the inchworm, but the butterfly is coming. Okay, so just like the coal, what, how, how does coal turn into a diamond? It has to get pressed down deep beneath the earth, and it's this intense, intense pressure in a dark place where no one sees it or cares about it or appreciates it, and it turns into a diamond, and over eons comes back up, and then suddenly, whoa, that's beautiful. It's not a common lump of coal. But see, God is doing that in our lives. Start out as an inchworm or a caterpillar. <laughs> Just a worm. I feel like a worm today, but I'm going to be a butterfly. That's the completion, right? might feel like just a lump of coal, but thank you. We're all going to be diamonds, because this is for us. Okay, so Paul is, uh, in the rest of the letter, he's encouraging them to lay aside their privilege, lay aside their honor, and humbly serve each other in love, just like Jesus did for us. He left heaven aside, and he came down, and he became a servant, and thank God he did, because that's why we're saved. Uh, I'm just going to end with, uh, in my... You may never have read uh, the first letter of Clement. He was the, uh, one of the leaders of the Church of Rome. Uh, it's written just a little bit, maybe within a year or two of Revelation. It's the same persecution time that they were going through. The writing to the church at uh, Corinth uh, in a time of crisis to give them direction. And he's talking about laying down your life or your rights or your benefits for the benefits of others. And, and he says this, it just blows my mind. The early church was so crazy, guys. He says, we know many of our own number, our own members, who have had themselves imprisoned in order to ransom others. Like, they're really taking on the example of Christ. And, and slavery was pretty common back then. In Rome, they estimate about one-third of all the, the, the residents were actually uh, servants or slaves. He says, many have sold themselves into slavery. Why? Why would they do that? They sold themselves into slavery. Christians in the Roman church to give the price of the money that they sold themselves for to feed the hungry. To feed the hungry. Yeah, they're doing amazing. That's why the gospel spread. That's why the church spread and grew. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the one uh, who is doing a good work in us. You've given us your spirit. Uh, you've made us a temple of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we don't always partner with you very well. We often lose heart and lose hope. Uh, but Thank you for the reminder from Paul that we can be confident, as he had confidence, that you don't intend to let the project uh, lay by the side, but uh, you are doing it, even in the quiet, still moments, uh, even in the times of dryness, the desert times, the painful times. Uh, in fact, in the painful times, you often, that's often where we see the most growth. So we don't presume to know the right way uh, to reach the goal. Uh, you're the architect, you're the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that you will complete it. Thank you that we're on a lifelong journey with Christ. And thank you that there is a day of Christ where we will all 
see your glory and reflect it in ways we can't even imagine. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.